Hey moms, welcome to this episode of the Dorenda Wilson podcast. I'm Dorenda, wife to one for 33 years, mom to eight, Nana to nine, and 27-year, okay, wait, no, 28-year veteran homeschooling mom. I'm not even counting anymore. <laughs> anyway, I'm also the author of The Unhurried Homeschooler, a simple, mercifully short book on homeschooling, The Four-Hour School Day, How You and Your Kids Can Thrive in the Homeschool Life, and Unhurried Grace for a Mom's Heart, uh, 31 Days in God's Word. It's a devotional that I wrote specifically for homeschooling moms. Um, I hope you'll check those out. You can go to DorendaWilson.com, you can go to Amazon.com, and you can find the four-hour school day at any of your favorite booksellers in addition to the places that I just mentioned. I also have a mentoring course. It's an online video course. If you're interested in finding out more of what it looks like to take a more simple, unhurried approach to homeschooling, uh, kindergarten through 12th grade, I'll leave a link in the show notes for that and a link to the places that I'm going to be speaking in 2023. I hope that you will meet me at one of these places and we can actually talk face to face. I also uh, received a message uh, from a listener recent, recently, and she's had this to say, I now have my son on CTC Math. He is my oldest of five, and he loves it. He told me he likes that he can move on faster than our previous material allowed him to. This also has freed me up to spend uh, more focused time with my two and three-year-olds, which is fantastic. Thank you for telling your podcast listeners about CTC Math. I can already tell this will be a very very, very helpful for us. Don't forget that CTC Math offers a free trial. I love those free trials. Um, so you can just go to ctcmath.com. I'll leave a link in the show notes uh, for you to go and check them out. All right, you guys. Um, today, we're going to be talking about or asking the question, are we living in the end times? Or some people would refer to it as the last days. Now, I have been a believer all of my life. That's 55 years. And all of my life, believers have continually said that we are living in the last days. Whenever there is a horrific event or the economy is bad or there's an earthquake or some other catastrophic event, those comments seem to amp up. For some reason, this has always bothered me. <laughs> it seems akin to everything is going to hell in a handbasket, and this is God's good plan for us. <laughs> I remember as a teenager how hopeless I would feel when an older Christian would go on about how horrible the world was becoming and how times were going to get even worse. And then somewhere in there, Jesus was going to come back and essentially airlift believers out of the mess, leaving the world that he created to implode. I remember thinking, how am I supposed to live my life with hope? Will I even get to raise a family? And even if I do, what's the point if it's all only going to get worse? Fortunately, I decided that I would move forward and invest where God called me to invest at home, in my marriage, my community, and the church, and trust Him to work it all out. So basically just to obey no matter what. So that's what my husband and I agreed was best, and that's what we did. Now, fast forward to the last few years, um, we all know it's been quite a ride in terms of huge, obvious shifts in politics and culture with a big slide into the abyss of godlessness and outright rebellion toward God and His Word even within the church, and then cue in a rapid increase in more talk about it being the end times or the last days. So I feel confident that many of you are actually in the same position that we were. So I wanted to invite Wes back on the podcast to answer the question, are we in the last days or what some might refer to as the end times? Now, Wes is one of the elders at our church. He's a husband and a homeschooling father of four. He has actually joined us for several episodes in an is always a favorite guest. 
I love his candid and solid biblical explanations for the topics that we have covered. Here, here, here are the topics we've covered. It's a pretty broad range. Applying Romans 13 to the here and now, which we did in the middle of COVID. The importance of a biblical education the biblical importance of family, recognizing false teachers, the dangers of a self-help culture, biblical discipline, and biblical submission. And so I'm going to leave the links links in the show notes to listen to all of those episodes if you'd like to go back and listen to them. But Wes, welcome. I'm so glad you're here today to cover this topic. <laughs> yeah, excited about it. Yeah, I remember the last time uh, I fully admitted, I think we were talking about what were we ta- discipline. That discipline, was it, biblical yep. discipline. And I fully admitted that the this was a topic that I didn't want to tackle on my own. Number one, because I don't feel like I have the knowledge to do a good job, um, enough biblical knowledge to really explain it well, and also because I'm a chicken. And so (laughs) the same is true for this episode. So I'm very happy you decided to join me, and I would love for you just to dive in and talk about this. Yeah, absolutely. And I get you having some reservation about this one, too, because this topic— seems to make people get their claws out. Oh, yeah. Like, people hold this one close to the vest. They and do. So they do. When you present something that is, you know, uh, maybe outside of their expectations, they can get yes, a little Yes, yes. I've had so. some of those conversations, and they've been very uncomfortable. <laughs> yes, yes. No doubt. No doubt. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, the question, as you said in the opener, is uh, a very common one. Are we living in the end times? Anytime there's st- instability uh, politically or globally or whatever, you know, that question gets asked uh, again. So uh, my answer to that question, I'm going to just go ahead and say it up front. Okay. Here's my answer to the question, are we living in the end times or the last days? The answer is no, we are not living in the end times or the last days Jesus and the apostles were. Mm. So that's my answer to the question, and the end that they were talking about in their prophecies is not the end of the world. Rather, it's the end of the Old Covenant age with its temple, its animal sacrifices, its priesthood, and its holy days. Mm -hmm. The end that the New Testament looks forward to and gives signs leading up to is the end of the Old Covenant and the installation of the New Covenant. Uh, And so that's my answer to the question. Now all I have to do is prove that. Right. Uh, Because people are hearing that, they're like, that's not at all what I've ever thought end times or last days refers to at all. That's right. Never heard that. I I had never heard that before a couple of years ago. I didn't realize there were other solid biblical options out Mm -hmm. there. And so the last few years have been a real eye-opener. Super great, though, because so incredibly hopeful. So if you're listening and you're like, wait a minute, this guy's a (laughs) nutcake, um, just hang in there. Because at the end of the day, what what we I think you'll find is true is the same thing that we found true is the hope that's Mm -hmm. attached to this seems to be so much more um, characteristic of the God that I know. Yep. And the God that I read in the Bible. So mm-hmm. hang in there, guys, and listen. Yep, yep. So I just wanted to state that up front so that it was really clear what I was arguing for. Right, And so right. there's the thesis. Okay. And now we'll work through, okay, prove that to me, you know. Uh, so three basic things that I'm trying to establish about the end times or the last days that are spoken about in the Bible. And I want to state these three things really clearly as well so that if you have note takers or people who want to be able to listen back, it'll be really clear, really structured for them to be like, okay, I can trace these things out myself now because it was uh, presented in a way that's structured. So three basic things to establish uh, what the end times or last days in Scripture are. The first one Uh, First point that I want to make, the end times passages in the New Testament are not about the end of the world. 
they are, as I said, about the end of the Old Covenant Age, that being the age where there's a temple, there are animal sacrifices, there's a Levitical priesthood, there are holy days, uh, all related to the nation of Israel, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and so I want to say that's what the end times passages in the New Testament are about. So I want to prove that point. Secondly, I want to prove that it's the apostles who were living in the last days. That this is a first century end of days time period. And then third, the last days or end times do not extend to our current period of time. Mm. And so those are the three things that if I can demonstrate to people listening those three things, then it's like, okay, I have to make a seismic shift in the way that I have been understanding these passages and what my expectations for the future of God's world and God's plan and the growth of the gospel are. Mm -hmm. It would change absolutely everything, right. as in fact it does. Uh, so I'll walk through each of those contentions, and if at any point your eyes start to glaze over or something's totally unclear, then interrupt me and say, I will. that makes zero sense, <laughs> <laughs> or help us with that, or whatever. So point one. The end times passages in the New Testament are not about the end of the world. They're about the end of the Old Covenant Age. Again, when you hear me say Old Covenant Age, if that's weird language for people, uh, just think there is a physical temple in which animal sacrifices are offered. There's a Levitical priesthood who's managing all of those sacrifices. There are holy days. There are ritual cleansings. There's all the things that you think about when you think about Old Testament law. That's Old Covenant. When I say those things, let, let that come to your mind. Uh, so... When we talk about the end of uh, end times, last days, whatever, we're talking about the end of that, not the end of the world. Now, part of the reason that people have been confused about this and think that when the Bible talks about end times or last days that we're talking about the end of the world is because of a very unfortunate translation issue mm. in the King James translation of the Bible. And so in the event that there are King James only is listening, I'm really sorry for what I'm about to say, <laughs> but it must be said. <laughs> So in Matthew's gospel, uh, in particular, there are three sections in which Jesus speaks about the end of the world, but only if you're reading the King James Version of the Bible, because the Greek word that's actually used in the passages where Jesus talks about the end of the world is actually the Greek word aeon, which means age, mm. not world, mm. and refers to the end of a time period, right. not the end of the cosmos, right. which would be the Greek word for world. So in Matthew 13, 24, and 28, when Jesus gives teachings about the end of the age, for the last 400 years, particularly in the Western world, we've been reading that as the end of the world, because that's mm -hmm. how the way, that's how the King James Version of the right. Bible translated the word right. aeon. So the end of, the, of a period of time or an age is very different, I think you'll agree, than the end of the world. Right. But again, because that's the most popular Bible translation, the one that's been used for the longest period of time, it makes sense that people would be confused sure, and sure. think, oh, okay, well, these are signs about the end of the world. Uh, so Jesus teaches about the end of the age, not the end of the world. And when he teaches about different ages, he only ever mentions two ages. And there are lots of texts that would probably come to your listeners' minds if they're, if they're Bible readers. Uh, but Jesus always talks about this age and the age to come. Only two ages that he ever talks about. Like, for instance, when he talks about the unforgivable sin, he says, if you commit this sin, then you won't be forgiven in this age or in the age to come. So he only ever talks about two ages. This age, that being the age that he's in when he said it, right. and the age to come. So two ages. And that's the age we're in. Correct. Okay. Correct. Yep, exactly. <laughs> uh, so that being the age of the Old Covenant and then the age of the New Covenant. Uh, so there's no New Testament passage of Scripture that actually teaches 
the end or destruction of the world. Mm. No such passage of scripture in the New Testament exists. Plenty of them teach about the world's transformation, but none of them actually teach about the world's destruction. So we're talking about an age, a time period that's coming to an end. And the book of Hebrews makes this point especially clear. So Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13 says this, In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first covenant obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So here's the author of Hebrews writing after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, saying that the old covenant is ready to vanish away, mm. not that it has vanished away. Right. Now, this, is, this in itself should be paradigm shifting for a lot of Christians because most people assume that either the death of Christ or the resurrection of Christ or certainly the ascension of Christ would have led to the end of the old covenant. Right. Like that should be done. Jesus died and rose again. We're done with all the old covenant stuff. That's not what the author of Hebrews says. The author of Hebrews, who's writing after all of those events, says it's ready to vanish away. It's, it's close to vanishing away. He doesn't say that it has vanished away. And in the next chapter of Hebrews, uh, the author makes it even more clear that he was writing in the old covenant age, that he's still there even after the ascension of Christ, that it's still the old covenant. They're still in that when he says in chapter 9, verses 8 through 10, this, By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened, as long as the first section of the temple is still standing, which is symbolic of the present age. So he just said, the temple is the symbol of the age that I'm in while I'm writing right. after the death resurrection of Jesus. Right. That's the age that we're in. It's the age of the temple, the old covenant age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings and regulations for the body that are imposed until the time of reformation, which is the author of Hebrews' way of saying until the end of the age. Right. He's saying that hasn't happened yet. We're still waiting for that to happen. Right. Uh, and so those things are imposed until the time of Reformation or until the end of the age. And so you can see that uh, regardless of the other particulars in uh, those two passages, there's obviously a lot in a passage that you could talk about. Uh, but you can see definitely that he is indicating that the time of Reformation that would end those things has not occurred yet. Right. Because he's saying the temple is symbolic of the age that he is in. And so... That means the end of the Old Covenant hadn't happened yet when the book of Hebrews was being written. So it's clear that the end to which they were looking forward was not the end of the world. The end that they're looking forward to is the end of the Old Covenant. They're looking for the end of the obligations of the Old Testament law. Right. So at that point in time, did they not know what that would look like? In fact, they did not. Okay. And you'll hear you'll hear pointers toward that. You'll even hear Paul say things like, uh, we're not sure what will be yet, brothers, but okay. <laughs> it's right. going to be great. It's well, going to be glorious, et cetera, helps et cetera. explain some of those phrases along the way. Mm -hmm. um, that's interesting. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, wow. absolutely. Absolutely. And so they're not entirely sure uh, what these things are going to look like, but they know the end is coming. The right. end is close at hand. Uh, it's getting ready to vanish away. And so what, what we can't say is that they're looking toward the end of the old covenant and then try to read all the other passages about an end as right. if they're about the end of the world, because how could they be looking for the end of the world when they haven't even had the end of the old covenant yet? Right. That was their you focus. You can't do it. Correct. Right. Exactly. Okay. So their focus was on the end of the old covenant. So that's point one. Right. Uh, that the end times passages are about the end of the age, 
that being the Old Covenant Age, it's not about the end of the world. Uh, and so uh, we've shown that those things were still in force during the writing of the New Testament. And, and one thing that I'll say, too, is this makes a lot more sense of the book of Acts. Um, because one thing that we see through the book of Acts is you have Jews, even after they've converted, still doing all of the things that the Old Testament commanded right. them to do. Right. And there's a huge debate uh, about mod for modern day Christians who say, look, the book of Acts proves that we should all still be keeping the Old Testament law exactly as it was given, because that's what people in the book of Acts were doing. But if you understand that they were still in the Old Covenant age, then that makes perfect sense of why they were still upholding those things. Right. And it's because that hadn't passed away yet. Mm -hmm. It was close, but it hadn't come yet. So anyway, um, any points of clarification that would be helpful at that point? Any questions? Nope. I okay. Think, I, All think, right. I think it's clear. Okay, cool. Uh, so point two then, uh, it was the apostles who were living in the last days that they locate themselves in those days. So, and I will say, warning, a lot of scriptures here, and hopefully that will just be really helpful because if I was saying something that you'd never heard before and then I didn't read any Bible verses, then you should be highly suspicious. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but instead, I'm going to say something you maybe hadn't thought about before and then support it with a ton of biblical passages. Right, which they point. can go back and listen to <laughs> Exactly, right. yeah, exactly. So uh, Acts chapter 2 we have Pentecost. Everybody knows Pentecost. Everybody's speaking in tongues. You have the episode with the tongues of fire, and then everybody's hearing the gospel in their own language. Uh, but there were some in the crowd who spoke up mockingly and antagonistically, and they said, it sounds like you guys have just been drinking a little bit early in the day. Right, right. right. Uh, you guys are babbling. Well, Peter responds to that charge in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 21, and here's what he says. Uh, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice, and he addressed them, men of Judah, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is yet early in the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So now he's going to quote the Old Testament prophet Joel, and here's his quotation. And in the last days, there's our phrase, Ooh, yeah. and in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so what Peter says is, no, we're not drunk. What you're witnessing is one of the signs that we're in the last days. Mm. That's what he does. Mm -hmm. he, here's a prophecy from the Old Testament saying what's going to happen in the last days of the Old Covenant. And Peter says, that's what's happening right here. Right. We're in the last days. Mm -hmm. Can't you see that exactly what Joel said was going to happen at the end is happening, happening, which places us in the end. Next, uh, we'll look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Uh, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Again, he's in the, he's in the Old Covenant, right? Uh, spoke to our fathers, the patriarchs, by the prophets. But in these last days, says the author of Hebrews, he has spoken to us by his Son. So the last days are when God speaks through his Son in the Incarnation, mm. right? So uh, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And so the author of Hebrews, the last days were ushered in with Jesus' ministry, that now God is speaking in the last days through his son, Jesus, in the incarnation. Hebrews 9, 26, he, Jesus, has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So again, uncontested, he's saying Jesus appears at the end of the age, mm -hmm. which again puts the end of the age in the first century when right. Jesus walked the earth. Right. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11 
the Apostle Paul says this, now these things happen to them, that being old covenant saints that he's just been giving examples of, uh, as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. And so Paul says, all that stuff that I just told you about in the Old Testament as he's writing to the church in Corinth, all of those things happened to them and were written down and documented so that we, who are at the end of the age in the first century, mm -hmm. would know right. what to do. Right. Right. Um, and those are those phrases that we just sort of like skip over and don't think about the meaning of. <laughs> right. But wow, when you start to realize what that's saying, mm -hmm. it's a game changer. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And this is, you know, it, it's really popular now, and I'm and I'm grateful for it, to say, you know, context is king, read things in context. Mm -hmm. uh, but sometimes all we really mean by that is make sure you knew what came before and what, what came, came after. after. Right. But we're not actually talking about bringing the entire context of the Bible together right. to bear on our reading of the passage. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you're if you're talking about that, then you have to ask, what does the end of the of the age mean in the Bible's language, mm -hmm. in the Bible's context, mm -hmm. because once you ask that question, you realize you're not talking about the end of the world. Right. You always say the Bible was, uh, wasn't was written to us. It was written for us. That's right. And and th this is why we would do what you just exactly. mentioned. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've also heard uh, scholars say things, pithy things, like we're reading somebody else's mail. Yeah. You know, when we, when we read, right. and of course, literally we are. We are. It's, this mm -hmm. was written to the Corinthians mm -hmm. in the first century. And if we find a way of interpreting these things that isn't applicable to that first century generation, then we're reading it incorrectly. Mm. And so when we read all these end of the age passages where, well, actually, I'm going to get ahead of myself here. Okay. But if we read all these passages in a way that put them 2,000 years in the future of the people to whom they're written, then we've actually just robbed them of any practical value to the mm. people to whom the letters were originally given. Right, right. If that's your interpretation, you're wrong. And then that's a whole out of it's a whole other version of being out of context. Correct. Okay. Yes. Got it. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next, next text, Second uh, Timothy three one through five. Uh, Paul says, "But understand this: that in the last days, there's our phrase again. Mm -hmm. uh, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty." For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Uh, don't you love how he puts uh, abusive right next to like disobedient to parents, <laughs> unholy. Oh, and by the way, disobedient to your parents. <laughs> it's like children, uh, that actually is a big deal right, in the Bible. Right, right, okay? exactly. <laughs> he says they'll be heartless, uh, unappeasable, slanderous, mm. without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, uh, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having appearance of godliness but denying its power. But now listen to this. And then he says, avoid such people. Hmm. Now think about that. He says, in the last days, all these kinds of people are going to come. Avoid them. Now here's the thing. Again, reading this contextually, uh, thinking about the original audience, we have to ask, how could Timothy... And the people at the church in Ephesus that he pastored avoid those people if they were going to live 2,000 years in their future. Right. He, that, that would be absolutely right. meaningless for mm -hmm. the Apostle Paul mm -hmm. to have written to Timothy. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't have said avoid such people. <laughs> right. Because, well, they're not going to live for a really, really long time. Right. <laughs> so they're locating themselves and the people to whom they're writing as right. being the ones who are in the last days. 
Uh, James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. James says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure, here's our phrase, in the last days. Hmm. And so James is saying, something's about to happen, and it's going to go very poorly for those of you who have been disobeying God's law, right. because you're in the last days, mm-hmm. and you have not prepared for them. Right. Again, if this is 2,000 years in the future of James' audience, that's meaningless. All of the weight and force of those words are gone mm-hmm. for James' readers mm-hmm. if they are, in fact, not the ones who are about to have an event happen right. that would fulfill what James is saying. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 18. And as many texts as I'm reading, trust me, I made a very short list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These are all over the place. Wow. These are all over the place. First mm-hmm. uh, John 2, 18. John says, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. So, John, again, we're in the last hour. This is presently the last hour that they were in in the first century. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 20. He, that being Christ, uh, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for, uh, for the sake of you. Another one in First Peter. This is the last one I'll read. First Peter chapter 4, verse 7. Uh, Peter says this. This is a jaw-dropping statement. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Hmm. So the apostles are undeniably identifying themselves and their audience as the generation who was living in the last days or the end times. Mm -hmm. And as we've identified, they're referring, when they say last days, end times, they're not referring to the end of the space-time universe or the destruction of the world. They're referring to the end of the old covenant system with its temple and its animal right, sacrifices right. and its priesthood, right. et cetera, et cetera. So hopefully that establishes point two. The apostles are identifying themselves as being the ones who are living in the last days. But you still have to deal with point three, because how do we know that the last days or the end times don't extend to our current period of time? How do we know that the end times don't just stretch out right. from Which starting Which I think is what then? a lot of us have thought or yep. been led to think. Exactly. And, um, yeah, but even the verses you shared kind of, like, prove that that's not actually the case. Yeah. So bring us forward. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And that is the most common position. Yeah. I, I have found old sermons of me saying— <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the way, that weird little phrase about, uh, you know, the last days, the last days are just the, t- the period of time between Jesus' resurrection and his second coming. Right. Yeah, that's what it is. And mm-hmm. so they were living in the last days. We're living in the last days. We're, we're all in the last days, you know. Right. Yeah. And, and so that's the common treatment. It really You know, is. that's usually really what is. you're going to hear from mm-hmm. your face mic pastor. Right. Um, as I myself have said. But there are two, there are more than two problems. But for our purposes, we'll cover two really massive problems okay. with taking that approach. The first one, and follow this carefully, that would mean that the end times have been going on longer than the time period that the end times are ending. (laughs) (laughs) I know what that sounds like. (laughs) That sounds convoluted, but I'll explain (laughs) it. So uh, I'll I'll say that one more time, and then I'll explain what I mean. If the end times stretches from the time of the resurrection of Christ all the way through 
the second coming of Christ and call it the consummation, you right. know, whatever your theological language for that is. Right. If that's true, such that they were in the end times and we're in the end times, that would mean that the end times have been going on longer than the period of time that the end times are ending. Meaning the old covenant age began with Moses at Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. Now, there are 1,400 or so years that separate Moses and the resurrection of Jesus, which ushered in the end times. So that means that on this view, the last days of the Old Covenant have gone on longer than the age itself, because we're now more than 2,000 years removed from the apostolic declaration that we're in the end of the age. Right. Doesn't exactly make sense. Correct. Correct. (laughs) Yeah. How can the end of the time period be longer than the time period that it's ending? I never even thought of that. It doesn't make any sense. It does not make any sense. You're right. It doesn't make any sense. The other really big problem with that, uh, and this is actually the larger of the two problems, Mm -hmm. um, is that that would mean that the old covenant requirements have not yet passed away. Yeah. Yeah. That's always been my question is like, and that's one thing I would want to pose to someone who's Jewish, you know, like you, you people aren't doing this anymore. Sure. What what ended it? And um, actually- Johanna was on an airplane with a, a Jewish gentleman, and she asked him that question. He did not know the answer. Right. And he'd been practicing. I mean, he's an older gentleman. He'd been doing this, practicing Jew his whole life. Yeah. And uh, it was just an interesting question. Um, but, yeah, what happened there? Mm-hmm. What caused the end of all of that? Yep, exactly, exactly. And, of course, like, we may be able to, we may be able to grant them animal sacrifices because right. they can just say, well, we don't have a temple, you know? Right. And, like, when we were exiles in Babylon, we didn't have a temple. So for that period of time, we couldn't, you know, the 70 years we're in Babylon, we couldn't offer sacrifices. That didn't mean the old covenant was over. Right. But it is, again, to say— uh, for Christians, all of this save animal sacrifices, we would have to say, is in force. Right. Because So that means right. you're keeping the Saturday Caprice. Sabbath. Yep. That means that you're observing the cleanliness code. That mm-hmm. means that the dietary laws are all in force. Which that is means, the opposite of what we're told in the New Testament. Sure, sure. So, yeah. And so it's like, true. And so it's like, if you don't see the end— of the end times having happened yet and say that you're still in the end times and you have to go back to Hebrews 8.13, which said these things are ready to vanish away. Right. Meaning until they vanish, though, you're still under them. Right. Which is exactly what the author of Hebrews, in fact, says. Mm -hmm. So if you want to take the position that we're in the end times right now, then you have to open up Leviticus again and read it, not thinking how this typologically points forward to Christ, but thinking about how you're going to do it with your family. Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> and so that's something that uh, I think most people are just taking for granted. Yes. Is that that's yeah. what that position demands. Yes. I, uh, yeah, that absolutely is true. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I, I think the thing that's difficult for me, frustrating, is the fact that this whole topic of, you know, well, we're not, we're not, we are talking about the end times. So I guess we call it eschatology, right? Correct. That's the yeah. fancy word for mm-hmm. the study of the end times, yep. right? Yep. How it's been made so convoluted and so complicated when it's explained in from the perspective that most of us have had it explained to us that we just sort of like, I don't know, it goes in one ear and out the other. And it's the only thing I've ever heard. So I'm assuming this is right. right. And it seems like knowing God, like I know God, there should be a way to be able to understand it and defend it simply. Mm-hmm. With, I mean, you're going into some deeper stuff, but you don't even have to go that deep yeah. to be able to defend what you're talking about. 
Yep. And so that, and that's the way it should be. Mm-hmm. And so uh, hopefully as you move forward, you'll yeah. be able to like con- communicate that yeah. to the audience. Um, so, yep. yeah. Yep. And, and to that point, it's like, this feels deep and profound because most haven't heard it before. Right. But nothing we've said is complicated. Right. Right. That's very nothing true. Nothing that we've said is complicated at all. We've said the apostles are looking forward to the end of something. Everybody who reads the passages agree with that. Right. We're saying the end of what, though? Right. What were they That's looking the for the question. end of? Yeah. yeah. And it makes far more sense and is far more simple to say they're looking for the end of the covenant that they were under. Right. And that makes sense of all the epistles talking about this day when you're you're not going to be under that law. Right. Right. Uh, and so it, it's actually the simpler of the two positions. I agree. Yeah. I agree completely. And that's what I found to be true as I, as I dove into more study on that particular perspective and realized, oh, I can actually wrap my head around this. Mm-hmm. Like I can actually understand this. And you're right. Asking the right questions yeah. is absolutely key. So yeah. when they're talking about the end of the age— what are they talking about? Yeah. What are they what are they pointing forward to? They knew it was going to be the end of the old covenant. They did not know how it was going to go down. Right. Right. Yep. And that brings us to the passage where Jesus tells them how it's going to go down. Right. So, wonderful transition. <laughs> <laughs> um because basically after the the three points that we just covered, the question that remains is when did the end times end? Mm-hmm. You still have to answer that question. Absolutely. Right? When did the end times end? Uh, the Bible tells us all, all through the verses that we just read that the end was close. Mm-hmm. To use Peter's language, it was at hand. To use Hebrews' language, it was ready to vanish away. Right. So we know that it was about to happen, but we don't have in the New Testament the declaration that it has. Right. We have all of these signs saying, or all of these texts saying it's coming, but no text that says it has come. So this is where the time statements, the time texts of the New Testament become really crucial because when Jesus gave us the signs of the end of the age, he didn't just give us the signs. He also told us the time period in which those signs would be given and the decisive event that would signal the final end of the Mm -hmm. old covenant. Mm -hmm. Jesus gave us all of this information already. But he gave it to us in passages that the King James Version of the Bible had translated the word age as world. Okay, okay. Hence the confusion. Right, right. (laughs) So Matthew chapter 23, I'll start in verse 37. Jesus says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered you together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See Mm -hmm. now, your house is left to you desolate. Mm -hmm. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then he flows straight from that into Matthew 24, verses 1 through 3. And remember, for your listening audience, there were no chapter divisions or breaks. And so it flows seamlessly into the next Mm -hmm. section. Mm -hmm. Um, So right after Jesus says that, after he's weeping over Jerusalem because her house is going to be left to her desolate, he says this, uh, or it says this rather, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him all of the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all of these, do you not? that being the buildings of the temple. Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Mm. So Jesus laments over Jerusalem because of her wickedness and her refusal to repent. 
And then he says that because of that wickedness, her house is going to be left to her desolate. And what is Jerusalem's house? Jerusalem's house is the temple, the temple. which is why Jesus moves straight from that to telling the disciples that it was going to be torn down. Mm. And in response to this, the disciples ask Jesus a question in the very next verse. And here's the question that they ask. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Mm. So when Jesus says, I'm going to destroy the temple, or rather, he doesn't say I'm going to. He says, the temple is going to be destroyed. And immediately, that prompts the disciples to ask a question. And the question that they ask in response to that is, so when's the end of the age? And that's because the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Daniel, chapters 9 and 12, had already told them that the destruction of the temple was going to be the sign of the end. Mm. And so these are biblically literate disciples. Right. So when Jesus says, yeah, the temple's going to be destroyed, they're like, yeah, we know. When? Uh, when? Right. And they, and they use the language, tell us, what are the signs leading up to the end of the age? Because they translated Jesus saying the temple is going to be destroyed to, yeah, we, we know that's the sign of the end of the age. Right. Right. Wow. Uh, and so that's why they asked that question mm -hmm. in Matthew 24. Uh, so they ask, how will we know when it's going to happen? They understood the significance right, of it. Right. They just wanted and to they know knew when. that would be the end of the age. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Um, and so Jesus answers them, their question about, so what are the signs leading up right, to this so that right. we can know and expect it and prepare for it? And Jesus answers that by saying, famously, mm -hmm. there will be wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines and earthquakes in various places. Christians will be delivered up to tribulation and put to death and be hated. Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. There will be false prophets that arise and lead people astray. There will be lawlessness that will increase and the love of many will grow, will grow cold. Now, when we read that, we should know immediately that those things are too broad and too general to be helpful signs. Right. Because that's why Christians have always been writing books like, aha, uh -huh, right. look, I see there's it's been earthquakes over here, and I've seen political machinations over here, and it looks like there's a lot of lawlessness here. Yeah. We must be in the end. That's the conclusion I've come to is once you've been living for over you know, half a century, you realize well, they're, we're on a repeat cycle here. Right. And 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 it doesn't yep. seem like anything's happening. I mean, obviously, I would, you know, somewhat defend it in the past saying, yeah, but that doesn't mean it's not going to be. But you do get that feeling that right. it's just like, okay, well, there's always things going on. Mm -hmm. you, you realize there are always wars and rumors of wars and yep. these things and that thing. And so it's funny that he made such broad sweeping statements, right. but then finished it up with Exactly. Yeah. A time statement. A time statement. Exactly. Right. Because those are useless signs right. unless he also gives you a period of time in which you should be looking for them. Right. So he's looking at these people and he's saying, this is going to happen in your mm -hmm. lifetime, basically. Exactly. That's what he says in verse mm -hmm. 34. He says, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away mm -hmm. until these things take place. Now it's a helpful sign. Right. Because a generation in Jewish reckoning was 40 years. Mm -hmm. And at that point, they were at a time of relative peace. Mm -hmm. And so he says, in a time of peace, there's about to be all sorts of things that are going to break loose, and it's going to happen within the next 40 years. Right. So now, because now we have a time timeline. statement, right. it's a helpful sign. Right. Right. Uh, because that adds the specificity that you would need for it to be uh, so, a true signal of Right. The end. So this would be referred to as the fall of Jerusalem. Correct. In 70 AD. Correct. Right. Yep. And exactly. that's... That 
Now, what you just described, that whole scene, is that considered the all is that the Olivet discourse? Yes, it okay. is. Okay. Yes, so it is. that was the the catalyst for complete change for me. So when people ask me, well, why did you change your perspective? I always point back to that. Mm-hmm. Because to me, once that is interpreted properly, it changes everything. Yes, it does. Everything. And so then and then mm-hmm. you can study deeper from there, but that simple scenario um is is enough. Yep. It was enough for me to say, oh, wow, mm-hmm. this this actually makes sense now. That's where right. before it didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. You're like, but they all died, you know. <laughs> and <laughs> right. supposedly this didn't didn't happen. But the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, that marked the end of the age, the passing of the old covenant. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, the way it all happened too, with the the tearing of the veil. Yep. I mean, it was powerful. Mm-hmm. And, and then the previous to that, I remember, uh, I think it was Jesus talking about how, you know, woe to women who are pregnant in that day, because it was, it was devastating yes. for yes. the city of Jerusalem, yeah. not just the temple, but for the people, they were fleeing. Mm-hmm. He was saying, flee to the hills. Like yep. that's the only place that's going to be that's safe. Right. You know? Which also tells you it was a local Event, right, exactly. Right? Uh, when Jerusalem is surrounded by armies, all of this uh, is just us quoting from Matthew chapter 24. Right. He even says, um, pray that it doesn't happen on the Sabbath. Right. The idea being uh, everybody's going to be really unprepared if this happens on the day of rest. Right. right. Which, again, tells you this is when you're still under the old covenant exactly. and you're keeping a Saturday Sabbath. Right. There it is again. Yeah. Like w- once you start realizing you make that shift, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up going through a, a whole uh, study on the book of Daniel because that's what a lot yep. of people who believe that the, we're in the last times will go to Correct. to defend their statement and went through it and listened to it from a completely different, and it actually all, I could understand it. It yep. actually made sense. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and so that was where like, okay, God's not, I mean, there is always going to be mystery when it comes sure, to God. Sure. There has to be. That's just who he is because he's just, so amazing. But I believe that, you know, just like the gospel is simple enough for a child Mm -hmm. to understand. And if we just spent our lives living out the simple things that we know to be true, we would be living a fruitful life. Uh, We can go as deep as we want in terms of study, um, but God made it so that we can understand. Like we can understand enough, uh, not barely enough, but more than enough to be able to walk out faithfully obeying him. Yeah. And, and and yeah, so mm-hmm. why wouldn't it be true with yeah. the end times as well? So where does that leave us mm-hmm. as believers? Now, if we make this shift, now I'm, right. I, there's probably some moms here are going to be listening to this three or four times, because sure. um, I know I would have at the very beginning, and I may listen to it again. Um, but where does this leave us as yeah. believers in terms of from here forward? How right. does that change things? Yeah. Well, the the first thing it means is that we're not looking forward to a time of tribulation. Mm. It means that we're not looking for um, this sort of pessimistic, uh, right. all because all the signs of the end of the age are negative. Oh, correct? they are. They are. Like, they're all bad. It's depressing. There's an antichrist that's going to rise, and he's going to do all sorts of terrible things, and here are all these negative signs, even, you know, uh, in terms of uh, earthquakes and famines. And uh, and so there's just this expectation that, okay, everything is going to go horribly wrong. Right. But that's because 
you're reading anachronistically, which means out of order. Right. Uh, and so those were that that was their expectation for their time within their generation, mm. uh, and that means that those aren't a foregone conclusion for us. Right. That's not to say that we should be looking forward to the uh, erasure of all of those things. Right. That's not to say that necessarily, okay, no no bad things are going to happen. Look around. Of course, right. bad things still happen. Right. But it is to say that we don't have the word of the tribulation as the, as the word that's standing over the current church. Mm. It means that it's the word of the great commission and the growth of the gospel that is the word that sends the church out. Okay, so but we've been acting like it's the other word. That's the driving force. Mm -hmm. And that changes everything. Yeah. It really does. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow. What we're looking forward to is the completion of the Great Commission, mm. not a tribulation. Mm. Yeah. And so that's that's the huge difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and, and maybe uh, one thing to put a point on Matthew 24 and this generation will not pass away before these things happen. Uh, that means that we have to put the end of these things in the first century mm -hmm. or Jesus lied. Mm. Like Jesus is a false prophet mm -hmm. if you read him the way that most Christians read him. Right. Again, they're not thinking that. They're not doing that right. on purpose. No, they're no, certainly no. not maliciously, you know, somehow secretly Jesus haters. I'm not intending to, to say that at all. I'm just saying the logical conclusion of that thought process is that Jesus and the apostles were wrong. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's the logical conclusion. Yeah, and yeah. very sadly, uh, as much as I love C.S. Lewis, and I don't want to ruin C.S. Lewis for any of your listeners, but uh, C.S. Lewis could not figure out what to do with these passages of Scripture. Mm -hmm. And he's on record saying that Matthew chapter 24 is the most embarrassing section of Scripture because Jesus was wrong. Oh, wow. Because he was reading the King James Version mm -hmm. of the Bible and thought that Jesus was predicting the end of the world within his generation, right. and right. it didn't happen. Right. And so, like, that's the despair that it can take you to mm -hmm. if you mm -hmm. end up stretching out the end times to 2,000 years, 3,000 years, 4,000. Right. Eventually, you're just going to say, I don't think he's going to do what he said he was going to do. Right. 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 And so that's what's at stake. Yeah. The, the veracity of Jesus' words, the truthfulness mm -hmm. of Jesus' words is what's at stake. And that's why this position is, is so important. Mm. So I love that. I love that. Awesome. Well, I think we're going to have to have you back to talk about a little bit more about where we go from here in terms yeah. of, you know, there's different, there's a few different perspectives, well, a couple different perspectives that are biblical perspectives on sure. eschatology. Like what is, what does that look like uh, in terms of how we live our lives? What is the, what's mm -hmm. actually happening right now? You explained some of it, but I think it's going to be important to, to revisit that because again, it's a victorious message mm -hmm. and I really want the moms to hear it but they probably have their brains full for today. <laughs> that's probably <laughs> Thank you very true. much. That's probably true. <laughs> but that's great. So we'll make sure that we include the scriptures in the show notes um, so that moms want to go back and look. We encourage you to do that. Go back and look mm. for yourselves. Yep. Dig in, dive in, uh, listen to this with your husbands. You yep. know, it's important for us to be on the same page. Um, and uh, this is a really important message. So I hope you will you will go ahead and do that. Um, so I think you're, I'm just going to have you, if you don't have anything else to share, yep. we'll just close in a word of prayer. Perfect. All right. Uh, Father God, thank you so much uh, for the clarity of your word. Um, thanks for the truthfulness of your word. Thanks that we don't have to uh, read Matthew 24 and wonder if you were telling the truth. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you that you have proven yourself and that it's on biblical record and it's in historical record. Uh, everything that you said in your word is true. The, the disciples weren't mistaken. Jesus wasn't wrong. And, and this also has an incredible encouragement for us because we realize that 
the word of negativity was a word of negativity to your unfaithful old covenant people who had rejected their Messiah, Mm -hmm. which leaves a very positive word for the new Israel, that being the church for whom Jesus died and rose, because ours is an expectation of victory and glory, not the doom and gloom that comes to us in the signs of the end in Matthew chapter 24. And so um, I I pray that your Holy Spirit uh, would use these things to minister to those who have heard it uh, as it's ministered to me and to Dorinda. So would you do that good work? We know that you will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Maybe some of you listening aren't quite, haven't quite made the leap into homeschooling and you're interested. Um, Classical Conversations equips parents with a proven curriculum and support from a local community of homeschool families all walking the same path together. You're their first teacher. Be their best teacher. Learn how to make homeschooling doable at classicalconversations.com slash Dorenda. That's classicalconversations.com slash Dorenda. I'll leave a link in the show notes. Have a great day.